Support for WPR comes from Lake Superior Big Top Chautauqua. Presenting concerts, shows, and events under a big canvas tent in Bayfield, Wisconsin, all summer long. Full schedule tickets and info at bigtop.org. On Wednesday this week, more than 75,000 Kaiser Permanente healthcare workers went on strike. That included nursing staff, pharmacists, lab technicians, and other workers in states including California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington State, represented by a coalition of different labor unions. Meanwhile, nurses at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Jersey have been on strike since August 4th, and their union reps were scheduled to resume negotiations with the hospital today. Here in Wisconsin, tensions between the UW Health Nurses Union and the hospital are rising again a year after the two sides reached a deal over union recognition to avert a strike. We're taking a look at labor disputes in the healthcare industry. You can join in at 800-642-1234. What do you think about all this action by organized labor in healthcare settings? What questions do you have about uh, negotiations, the tactics either side uses, and are you part of this story? Do you work in healthcare or healthcare management? What are you seeing? Call 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. Rebecca Given is an associate professor of labor studies and employment relations and co-director of the Center for Work and Health at the Rutgers University School of Management and Labor Relations. Rebecca, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's start with this Kaiser strike. It's big, a lot of people involved. How significant is this particular uh, three-day labor action? It's really very significant. It's, we think, the biggest healthcare worker strike in, in U.S. history, 75,000 workers um, all over the country, primarily on the West Coast, but also places like the greater Washington, D.C. area. And it's workers in a lot of different job categories, not really uh, very many nurses uh, and, not, and not physicians, but almost everybody else. So social workers, dietary workers, uh, all kinds of techs like respiratory techs, x-ray techs, lab workers, pharmacists, it's all kinds of workers. And it's really um, a massive, massive concerted, concerted action. What are some of the main grievances of this uh, wide variety of healthcare workers in this system? These workers are basically upset about their inability to use the job because to do their jobs because of insufficient staffing. They feel that um, too many workers have left. They're working short staffed. Some of them left because of, you know, the strain of, of working through the pandemic, but staffing issues were, were there even before that. And um, they want sufficient staffing. They want more staff brought on so that their jobs are actually manageable. They can provide the level of patient care that they, that they know their patients need. Um, and that means that means a significant effort being put into recruitment. It also, of course, means pay that allows them to recruit and retain uh, good staff. I've heard these concerns, uh, as you mentioned, before the pandemic from a lot of uh, healthcare fields and institutions. I mean, is it just the case that there aren't enough healthcare workers to go around and any particular provider is going to be facing the same problem as everybody else in the country? Nurses in particular always, always have staffing concerns. It's not that there aren't enough nurses to go around. It's that nurses are burning out. We have um, thousands of nurses who are registered, who are certified in this country, who no longer want to either work as nurses at all or work at the bedside because they've simply burned out. And it's sort of self-perpetuating cycle because 
the more short staffed uh, your workplace is, the harder your job is and the more likely you are to burn out and not be able to take it anymore. And um, and that's a huge problem. There's also there's also an issue with the way uh, medical reimbursement works and the way hospitals do their budgets, which is that nurses are a cost. And so adding adding more nurses takes away from your bottom line. And even even, you know, in uh, nonprofit healthcare systems, they're very, very worried about the bottom line and they don't want to increase their costs by by hiring more staff. I want to look at another strike. Uh, not as many people involved, but duration here. It's been going on for a couple months, I think, uh, pretty much just down the street from you at uh, Robert Wood Johnson University Medical Center. I gather you've been following that pretty closely. Uh, what is what is going on there? Yeah, uh, 1,700 nurses uh, have been on strike for over two months. They've, they've been out of work. They've had their health insurance cut off. And they are very, very clear that they are striking for patient safety and specifically for enforceable uh, limits on how many patients any individual nurse can be can be required to care for. It's not about money. It's about these enforceable staffing numbers. Um, this is something that in some states, very few states, uh, there's legislation around. In other places like New York State, uh, nurses have successfully won it at the bargaining table, although in some cases that has required a strike. But in at Robert Wood Johnson Hospital, it's a it's a bitter, bitter strike right now. It's been going on for for two months. They are at the bargaining table, so there's always a chance to resolve it. But they they are uh, in a huge fight over enforceable limits on the number of patients that any nurse can be required to care for. We're talking to Robin Given, uh, Rebecca Given, labor studies and employment relations expert and associate professor at Rutgers University, looking at strikes and labor actions in the healthcare industry, including the Kaiser Permanente strike of over seventy-five thousand healthcare workers across several states. That's expected to conclude after today. For now, you could join in at eight hundred six four two one two three four. Do you have questions about uh, labor actions, strikes in the healthcare field? Are you a nurse or other healthcare worker who's feeling what we've been talking about, that burnout, the insufficient staffing? Love to hear from you at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. We'll pick up the conversation coming up on Central Time. It's Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. We're talking about labor disputes in the healthcare field, including this week's walkout of more than 75,000 Kaiser Permanente healthcare workers of various kinds. Rebecca Given stays with us, Associate Professor of Labor Studies and Employment Relations, Co-Director of the Center for Work and Health at Rutgers University. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Rebecca, I want to bring this to Wisconsin now. We've had a long-running dispute here at UW Health. Uh, nurses uh, almost struck last year. Union laws changed in Wisconsin, especially for public employees. It's, it complicates the situation a lot. Now uh, there are concerns being raised by nurses. They held a press conference uh, last month saying they don't like what they're seeing over the last year. Uh, from looking at this one from the outside, how does this fit into this wider picture? I think the issues that are facing nurses in Wisconsin are the same issues that are facing nurses nationwide, which is that um, they need sufficient staffing and they need the ability to stay in their jobs. When nurses uh, don't feel they can provide quality patient care, um, they they leave. And that makes the work even more difficult for those who stay. And I think um, although there's uh, complicated legal issues in, in the UW nurses case, what fundamentally 
it's about the ability to provide the, the quality of patient care that, that they're there to provide. And that's pretty much always the issue in these um, labor disputes for nurses. Let's bring on a caller. Sue is with us in Milwaukee. Sue, hi. Hi. What did you want to tell us about, Sue? Uh, my question is, uh, I'm a nurse practitioner, and your guest said, uh, well, first of all, we have a uh, health care system here in Milwaukee um, that laid off, as soon as they took over, they laid off a lot of nurses because of the cost. And... Does that speaker might understand that nurses are in a hospital 24-7, basically keeping it running. And um, I'm wondering why nurses are a cost, but doctors are not considered a cost. Sue, thanks for the call and sharing your experience. Now, first of all, Sue, wondering, uh, you mentioned, you know, nurses, hiring more nurses is a cost. Uh, Sue wonders if doctors are are looked at the same way in these uh, healthcare systems. No, anyone who's received a healthcare bill knows that doctors bill separately. And so doctors sort of generate revenue for everything they do, whereas nurses are, you know, billed. And it seems um, cold to think of it this way, but this is how our, our healthcare system is as part of the whole cost of being in the hospital. So if you have more more nursing hours attending to you or fewer nursing hours, uh, your hospital bill will not be higher. Same as if your food is better or worse, for example. Um, that's all just part of the cost of being in the hospital, whereas doctors bill separately. And so from a hospital perspective, they're actually generating revenue. And Sue also touched on an interesting point. Uh, Sue mentioned that there'd been an acquisition by another group. We see a ton of consolidation in uh, hospitals and uh, healthcare systems in Wisconsin, I think everywhere in the country. Is that driving some of these uh, disputes and concerns, Rebecca? Yeah, consolidation is a huge trend in the, in the healthcare industry. And it's not necessarily changing uh, the trend or the direction of things um, in terms of the challenges facing nurses and the way, and the way, uh, nurses are are being overburdened. It's certainly there's a lot of data which suggests that from a patient perspective and from a payer perspective, consolidation is is uh, is not good in the system. Thanks again for that call, Sue, at 800-642-1234. Rebecca, looking at this list of uh, labor actions we've been talking about or potential problems uh, here in Wisconsin, do you expect to see more of this across the industry? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, successful strikes uh, from the worker perspective tend to spread as other workers see what they can win by acting collectively. Of course, we don't know the outcome of the Kaiser strike or the New Jersey Robert Wood Johnson strike. But we have seen, for example, in New York State, uh, nurses in in two major hospitals uh, went on strike and won those enforceable limits on how many patients nurses can be required to care for. And so when nurses elsewhere see uh, their fellow nurses going on strike and winning something, they're much more likely to go on strike. So I think we can definitely expect to see more of this. People might uh, listen and say, okay, healthcare workers going on strike over concerns about, you know, uh, patient safety. Uh, they might worry, well, if, if nurses, for example, are going on strike, won't that put patient safety at risk? Yeah, uh, obviously, as anyone who, who who is a nurse or knows a nurse knows, patient safety is always at the forefront. So they don't do this 
do this lightly. And um, in any in any case of a healthcare strike, the workers are required to give a 10 day notice period and the hospital or the healthcare facilities is required to put a strong contingency plan in place. And in some cases, uh, workers may in fact stay on the job if there's a particular uh, patient concern. But um, most of the time when you talk to striking healthcare workers, they say, I didn't want to go out on strike. I, I didn't want to feel that I was leaving my patients. And ultimately, I felt that this was something I had to do for my patients. And people might uh, wonder, well, aren't there regulations saying, you know, for purposes of patient safety, you have to have a ratio of however many nurses to patients? I'm guessing, given that this is an issue, uh, there aren't those regulations or they're, they're pretty loose? That's right. There's uh, there's very little in place outside of the state of California and, and now Oregon. There are some guidelines. There are some states that have rules that you have to have either some reporting or you have to have a committee to look at staffing levels. But um, there's there's no federal law in place and there's there's very little in the states. So, yeah, it is it is surprising to some. But um, that that uh, that uh, law does not really exist nationwide. Rebecca, we'll leave it there. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That's Rebecca Given, Associate Professor of Labor Studies and Employment Relations and Co-Director of the Center for Work and Health at Rutgers University. We talked to her about uh, some healthcare labor disputes around the country, including a massive strike at Kaiser Permanente that's expected to end for now after today. This is Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. This week, Wisconsin has been hosting the World Dairy Expo, drawing thousands of people from around the world to Madison for the trade show. Part of the event highlighted best practices for working with dairy cows to ensure farmers and their animals stay safe. A UW-Madison researcher created a new tool to help farmers to practice proper cow handling in a simulated environment and apply those skills on the farm. Jennifer Van Oss is Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist in Animal Welfare in the Department of Animal and Dairy Sciences at UW-Madison. She presented her interactive dairy cow video simulation, Moving Cows, two O's, Moving Cows, at the World Dairy Expo this week. Jennifer, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. All right, talk us through Moving Cows. When a a farm worker or or whoever trains on it, what, what do they do? So in this video game, we are trying to develop a proof of concept where people can learn or practice basic cow handling. So on a lot of dairy farms, cows spend time in what's called their home pen, where they can lie down, eat and socialize. And then two or three times a day, they need to go to what's called a milking parlor where the milk is collected. So cows don't spend the majority of their day there, but they need to move back and forth in order to be milked. And so people have to guide them there. And so in our game, people take on the role of a person working on a dairy farm and they need to move cows within the parlor and to and from the milking parlor. And right now we're focusing really just on these basic principles for people to practice these basic concepts, but we envision that we could include more complex scenarios in the future. Now, anyone who's never interacted with a cow might think, well, isn't that kind of easy? You lead the cow there, you lead the cow back. Tell us about reality and the things that can go wrong in that interaction. Exactly. I think that's a great point, because if people haven't interacted with cows, they might not realize that cows see the world differently than human beings do. So they have a different sense of vision, sound and smell and a different way of experiencing the world. So it's important to understand cows senses and cow behavior to be able to move them effectively and appropriately so we can take advantage of their natural behavior to get them to move without causing stress. 
All right, let's step away from the game a little bit now. Uh, what What is the impact if we mismanage cows? What kind of things could go wrong for the farmer or farm worker and, and the cow itself? So in the context of moving or handling cows, it's really important to be aware of the cow's natural behavior because they are a prey species. So in a more naturalistic setting, cows are looking out for threats such as predators and they can potentially see people that way. So if you aren't careful or aware of a cow's senses or of her behavior, then A, you could get injured. Cows are very large and very strong and they could accidentally hurt you by knocking you over or other uh, interactions like that. But also the cow herself could get injured. So if she panics because she's experiencing a fight or flight response, she could slip and fall. And even if she doesn't get injured, when a cow's stress levels increase, first of all, that reduces her welfare. But second of all, it can reduce milk production. So proper interactions or handling of cows is very important for many reasons. I know there are different training tools out there. What made you want to tackle this in video game format? So I started here at UW-Madison about five and a half years ago. And if you had told me at that time that I would become a video game creator, (laughs) I definitely would not have believed you. (laughs) I'm not much of a video game player myself. But when I started, because I have an applied research and extension education role with UW-Madison, it was really important for me to understand the needs of Wisconsin dairy farmers and the dairy industry. So I met a number of different Wisconsin dairy farmers and I introduced myself and I asked them, what are the challenges on your farm around animal care and animal welfare? And this was one of the topics that rose to the top. So even though there are already a lot of resources available, many of them very nicely produced or even free, there seemed to be a need for better education or better ways to practice cow handling. And so over time, I came up with the idea that maybe we could apply a flight simulator concept, like what they use in aviation, to livestock handling. Before you started to get code generated here, I understand you did a lot of talking to people, uh, English and Spanish speakers around Wisconsin. Can you talk about the process of, of gathering the information you needed to, to make this video game a reality? Yeah, so to me, this was really the Wisconsin idea in action. So once we got the idea that we wanted to create moving cows, we started to put together our learning objectives. What did we want people to take away from the game? What did we want them to get out of it? What was really important to include in this initial version of the game? And we contracted with a local company here in downtown Madison called Filament Games, and they specialize in programming educational video games although they had never done a cow game like this before. (laughs) And so they created a draft or a prototype game for us. And we took this out and did focus groups. And I should say, I was not there. I introduced myself. I talked about my role at the university. And then I left so that people could speak freely because we wanted them to be brutally honest so that we could make the game the best it could be and as relevant as possible to people who work with dairy cows on a daily basis. So we went to Wisconsin dairy farms and had people who work in these cow handling roles play the draft of the game. And then we had these focus groups where they gave feedback and ideas about how to make it better, how to make it more relevant. We also had people come to campus. So this was dairy farm owners, bilingual consultants and trainers and veterinarians, because we wanted a lot of perspectives on how we could make this useful and relevant. 
Talking to Jennifer Van Oss, Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist in Animal Welfare in the Department of Animal and Dairy Sciences at UW-Madison, talking about the interactive dairy cow video game, Moving Cows. She presented uh, this at the World Dairy Expo this week. Uh, Jennifer, it's been a, a process. There's a basically an alpha, or I don't know if you're in a beta version now. Where is Moving Cows in development? How close is it ready to be uh, released into the wild? Yeah, so actually we have version one of the complete game and we took that out for another round of testing this past spring and we learned a lot because we could collect data on how long it takes people to complete the full game or each of the eight levels. We were able to ask them questions about how much they enjoyed it, how challenging they thought the game was, and also collect more qualitative feedback on how to make it better and more relevant. And so we're now incorporating that feedback into version two of the game. And we want the game to take a little bit less time for the average person, but we're also very excited because we're optimizing it to work on both Android and Apple devices. And the game will be released to the public in both the Apple and Android app stores by early next year. For somebody actually working on a farm or maybe that new dairy farm worker, can they actually get some kind of certification by completing all the levels? Absolutely. And that's something we really think is important with this game is that it can fulfill an expectation throughout the U.S. dairy industry. So there is a national program called FARM, F-A-R-M, which stands for Farmers Assuring Responsible Management. And they have an animal care initiative. And actually 99% of dairy farms in the U.S. participate in this program through their milk cooperative or their their milk processors. So to sell milk, they have to meet the program's expectations. And one of those expectations is that everybody who works directly with cows, whether they're a new hire or a family member who grew up on the farm, has to show that every single year they have a refresher or continuing education about cow handling. And so when people complete all eight levels of moving cows, they earn a certificate of completion that can show that they've had this continuing education. The obvious uh, target market here is people who work with cows on farms. Are there other communities or or age groups or whatever that you hope uh, can experience the game as well? We think so. So our primary target audience is people who work on dairy farms because we want them to have an interactive and hopefully effective way to show this continuing education. But we also think a lot of other types of learners could get something out of the game, whether they learn something or simply enjoy playing it. So over the summer, we began testing the game with fourth year veterinary students here at UW-Madison doing a dairy skills rotation. And we also recently tested it with first year UW-Madison undergraduates in an introductory animal science lab. And we also worked with a couple of 4-H groups over the summer with kids of various ages. And so we think anybody of any age could potentially enjoy playing with this and learn something about dairy farming. As we know, Jennifer, uh, many farm workers in Wisconsin are uh, primary language Spanish speakers. And I mentioned uh, you reached out to English and Spanish speakers along the way. The final product, is it available in both languages, English and Spanish? Yes, and that was something that was very important to us from the start. So we know that there are also other languages spoken on Wisconsin dairy farms, but English and Spanish are the most common. And we know there has been this demographic shift throughout the Wisconsin and the wider U.S. dairy industry. So we want tools that are created 
in the languages that people prefer right from the get-go instead of as an afterthought. So this was a highly collaborative interdisciplinary project with a number of people throughout UW-Madison. But one of the most important collaborators was Dr. Dominic Ledesma, who heads up the language access group for UW-Madison Extension. So we worked very closely with him to make sure that this game really resonated in Spanish as well as in English. I know moving cows has been your focus, but have you been mulling uh, a sequel, some other uh, farm-related skill that you think might work for a future video game format? I think that this shows a lot of potential for helping people practice other types of thing on, things on the farm. So through these focus groups where we collected feedback about the game, we got some ideas about other scenarios within dairy farms where this game could potentially be useful. So not just routine cow movement to and from milking, but also trickier situations that are still common that people need to practice. But we also think it could be useful in other livestock sectors. So maybe in the future, there could be moving sheep or moving swine. So I think there's a lot of potential and we're excited to see where it goes. Jennifer, we'll leave it there. Thanks for sharing this with us today. Thanks so much for having me. That's Jennifer Van Oss, Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist in Animal Welfare at the Department of Animal and Dairy Sciences at UW-Madison. She's with us today to share her new dairy cow handling game called Moving Cows with the World Dairy Expo in Madison this week. She presented the the game there.